You know, the reality is people want to move fast and people want to change fast and develop things fast. And that's just completely counter to how enterprise software was delivered five, maybe 10 years ago. The faster you deliver something, the better you better be at understanding the risk and visualize it, understand it, and impact it. I was very lucky in that I started out with four engineers, probably finish out this year at about 30 people full-time on the security team. You know, we are focused on the things that reduce harm to our customers and ensure that they can sort of have this foundational trust with us. Hi, I'm Guy Pajarni, CEO and co-founder of Sneak. And you're listening to The Secure Developer, a podcast about security for developers, covering security tools and practices you can and should adopt into your development workflow. The Secure Developer is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybeats.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you would like to suggest a topic for us to discuss, find us on Twitter at The Secure Dev. Welcome back, everybody, uh, to the show The Secure Developer. Today we have on the show uh, Jeff Belknap, uh, the Chief Security Officer for, for Slack. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So there's a lot of conversations, a lot of questions that I <laughs> sort of have when you think about security at Slack. You know, I personally sort of at Sneak, we, we, we heavily rely on, uh, on Slack for many things and therefore heavily rely on the security of Slack. Thanks for being a customer. Um, yeah, always. Uh, thanks for building the product. Uh, and with that, you know, there's a lot of sort of, you know, goodness and importance around the security of, of Slack as a whole. Uh, but specifically, the reason uh, that we're sort of having this chat that I thought would be really interesting is that Slack is, is a very fast-growing company. Uh, it's definitely uh, a company that, that, that moves quickly, that develops software quickly, that sort of ships software quickly. Um, and what I'd love to sort of dig through as we have the conversation here is, you know, chat a little bit around, you know, how you build and how you handle security in, uh, in, in, in such a sort of a, a termless uh, environment. Great, yeah. Can you sort of spend a couple of minutes just sort of telling us about uh, about your background and uh, um, and how you sort of got to Slack and uh, what you do there? I've been at Slack about uh, just about two years now. Before that, I was at uh, Palantir for almost six years and worked on some really interesting, challenging data security problems there. Uh, and really, you know, this is the second half of my career. So for about 15 years before that, I did uh, a bunch of network engineering and, and telecommunications architecture work. At, uh, at startups and banks and uh, telcos. Uh, so this is really the extension of me finding, you know, finding the magic and connecting two, two things together with cable and the lights blinking on either end. And that extending to, well, I guess that means bad things can happen as a result of lights <laughs> blinking on, on either end of a cable as well. I think you know, my journey to Slack was really, you know, in my career, I've, I've really appreciated opportunities that allow me to have an impact. And certainly over the last few startups, the, you know, the measure for whether that's going to be interesting to me is whether a good decision I make is just as impactful as a bad decision. And I think certainly people in security, you're not really, you know, having an impact if a bad decision is, uh, is also, you know, contributes to a terrible outcome as well. Uh, and while nobody wants that, you know, for somebody that really wants to have a big impact, I think you, you need to understand that, that it matters. Yeah, no, very much. I think it's a, it's one of the areas that uh, definitely contribute. So, what was the uh, was there like an aha moment that made you you know see see the light or the dark? I don't know how you sort of refer to uh, to the security side of things. No, I think I think it's something I've always been interested in security in general. I think I was definitely one of those kids uh, that wanted to be. I think first it was a, a pilot, and uh, then it was a cop uh, or a firefighter or some, something like that. 
Um, and I think uh, as I as I grew up and matured, uh, I was always very interested in uh, the legal system and law and justice and security. Sort of naturally played to those uh, ideals. I think in in the you know mid '90s when I was getting into telecommunications and really the industry was get, just getting deregulated and this was taking off, the the natural gravitation of somebody who's smart and likes engineering problems was, you know, go work on that, go build the internet. And certainly I had the opportunity to work on some of the first cable internet deployments and we built some of the first, you know, pre-standard broadband internet networks. And that was, that was a lot of fun. Sort of fast forward to that, nobody at the time in the 90s, nobody really you know, thought you could abuse that. It was still, it was the time of Kevin Mitnick where, you know, abusing a telecom network was, you know, making free long distance phone calls. and. Uh, and getting infamy from that. So now when, you know, the the industry and telecommunications is really mature to a point where our entire world economy is really based on top of this. And, you know, not only is that how those economies are driven, but also how business, you know, entire businesses are built on top of this sort of fabric that we've added to the world. And it's really interesting to be able to contribute to how do you manage risk and how do you make sure that you can enable technological change and, and economic innovation, but also do that in a way that manages the risk and make sure that we're, you know, we're enabling that change and not enabling something negative. Yeah, for sure. The table stakes are definitely higher. Uh, yeah, for sure. Know, you know, the, the game is, uh, has gone up a few notches. So, so you joined Slack when? How long ago? I think it was January 2016. So not quite two years yet. Okay, cool. And uh, were you, can you tell us a little bit about like the evolution of this of the security team at Slack? I mean, we, just, we spoke to like Sean Gordon here from uh, New Relic who talked about being kind of uh, the first security hire at 140 people, you know, in, uh, in Optimizely it was maybe like a similar story. How, uh, what was uh, Slack's uh, <laughs> kind of trajectory around sort of size and first security hires? Yeah, I think, so when I joined Slack, I want to say we were about 300 people, um, which dep depending on, you know, sort of what kind of startup you are, that's a, a reasonable time to really focus on executive level leadership for security. And especially for Slack, as we try to, you know, as we try to really compete in the enterprise space that we're in with some really, um, with some really big names, it becomes a critical part of the business. And that was what was really interesting to me. I was very lucky in that I started out with four engineers, which is probably the biggest team that I've started with. Um, so mm -hmm. you know, once uh, once or twice before this, when I've started security teams, it's usually one or two engineers that are on loan from some other team. And this was, Slack had already had you know four engineers that were full-time dedicated to security. Hmm. So we've built from that uh, in not quite two years to we'll probably finish out this year at about 30 people uh, full-time on the security team, which is a you know full-fledged part of the engineering organization at Slack. And the idea is that you know we are focused on the things that reduce harm to our customers and ensure that they can sort of have this foundational trust with us uh, because as you said you know your your whole business is built on this I'm looking across at the engineer and I'm watching him use slack on his phone and <laughs> and it's it's both a, a thrilling and you know sobering thing when I ride Caltrain into into work every day and you know I look around the the car that I'm sitting in and I see people using slack <laughs> all over the place uh, and for me that's certainly you know the first time I've worked somebody somewhere where you know it's just ever it's ever present that people's lives and business and uh, and this you know influences you know how you know how they do everything uh so we focused on you know how do we ensure that we have that like i said foundational trust we have our application or platform security team we have our operational security teams we have our teams that are focused on incident response and management uh, and then, of course, you know, we have our teams that are focused on, you know, how do we handle risk and compliance? How do we de-risk the Slack environment? How do we make sure that 
customers uh, can align, you know, whatever sort of compliance programs they have to what we're doing, all towards the end goal of making it so that if you're developing on the platform or if you're using the platform to run your business, you don't have to think about those things, right? So you can develop an, an app or build something that's built on top of the platform and understand that you can plug right into all these things that we've built. You can bring your you know, Fortune 100 organization to Slack and understand that you know, we've already provided all these touch points and mapped everything to your program. And you know, so eventually you understand that you know, any of the apps you pull out of the app directory are something that are suitable and make sense to use in your environment and are not just you know, toys or, uh, or fun, shiny things to play with for your devs, that they're actually parts of your business. So you came in and you said you had four engineers and then you talked about security as part of the engineering team. Uh, so first of all, maybe let's sort of unpack that a little bit. Okay. Um, you know, it's not it's not always a given that that you consider uh, um, security to be a part of the engineering team. Uh, is that the way it's structured? Like security as a whole is a part of the engineering organization? That's certainly the way it is now. Um, I think you know when you start a security program and you really and you invite somebody in to sort of be the leader of that security program, you're never really sure exactly where that's going to go. And I, I think, uh, in fact, I just had coffee with someone this morning who's looking at, hey, we're you know we're almost at the same size Slack was when they started their security program. What do you what do you recommend we do? And there's really no one you know common path that everybody can follow, other than you know say you start with generalists and you sort of set them to work on your highest priority problems and you build from there. So Slack, when we when we started the security team, uh, I think we were part of uh, the privacy and policy organization, which sort of flowed through the business side of the organization. Now I report directly to Cal Henderson, our CTO, uh, and we're a full-fledged part of engineering and a you know, first-class mm -hmm. citizen in engineering, which really, you know, I think it helps people understand that security matters to Slack. And, and this feel, I feel so uh, sort of cliche mm -hmm. saying, oh, security is important to us and security really matters. But I think to some extent, like that's the only term I can use that, that describes like it matters. It matters deeply to me. It matters deeply to people at Slack. You know, we do treat security in a first class way uh, and make sure that, you know, secure the platform security teams or the application security teams are involved in reviewing new products that the, uh, the product and the engineering teams are working on. They're involved in customer integration and customer engagement when we're talking about uh, when we're talking to an enterprise customer who wants to bring their entire uh, environment over to Slack we're involved in that discussion and making sure that you know they mm -hmm. understand we understand their risk model and they understand how we address that uh, we're involved when it comes to you know talking to developers that might be developing an app or uh, or an integration for a customer or trying to build a business on top of the Slack platform and helping them understand how to do that in the most secure way possible, how to make you know how to make it uh, the most impact, but also be able to offer products to uh, our enterprise customers on top of the platform. So I think everywhere that we can possibly touch security uh, in the organization, it's represented in a, in a really positive way. And I think ultimately that that should be your goal. If if you really do take security seriously in your organization, and if you're building a startup or if you have you know an established organization, that's what you have to do, and you have to do that in a first class way. I wonder if uh, if if this type of um, uh, of uh, perspective, which I totally relate to, right? You know, I I agree that um, one security engineering. So to me, the, the 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 choice of using the term and putting the the team in engineering conveys. I don't know if I'm wrongfully reading into it. Uh, a few things. You know, one is it seems to prioritize uh, uh, building security systems, right? Sort of building things that are a little bit more engineered. Uh, to work well as opposed to maybe like relying on sort of manual efforts or actions. Um, so that's maybe one, um, definitely an aspect of an engineering culture. 
Um, the second is it talks about building security in versus bolting on or whatever the sort of the cliche you want to choose there. But uh, you know, I wonder like how much of this is a is a post DevOps revolution startup, right? It's a it's a it's an environment in which um, the the mandate of breaking down walls between different teams of sharing responsibility, at least in sort of the development and ops world, kind of permeates into uh, into security. Uh, well, if you go to an organization that you know has ten years more, you know, <laughs> more sort of lifespan than uh, than Slack, uh, let alone twenty, thirty, forty, structure is not necessarily uh, in 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 that uh, that aspect uh, of it. So I think you know, not not again, all positive. Just sort of wondering a little bit out loud. Do you think this is a like a prerogative <laughs> of uh, of uh, an early company or? Or, or can you sort of envision, you know, a twenty-year-old company having kind of the security team being led from within the engineering organization? I think to to your point, I'm definitely the, the very fortunate beneficiary of being able to start a security program and mm-hmm. you know have the ability to make some of these foundational changes to you know, how we think about it culturally. Mm-hmm. I think you know, and I think it, it really comes down to just that, right? How how does your organization think about security culturally? How do they think about security? Are problems secrets? Is this you know are these things to you know to discuss and 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 analyze and really engineer solutions to, or are they things that you sort of bring up at your audit committee meeting and then never speak of again? Specifically to your question of can I see a twenty year old established or or older established organization managing security engineering? And I think the answer is yeah, I, I can see that, but that organization would have to work a lot harder at it than I would. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm very fortunate in that uh, I'm I'm starting with a clean slate. There's always this really tempting, you know, ability certainly with people on uh, on Twitter to go, well, what if the, if this company had just done X, or why don't they just X? And it's a great example of like not understanding how complex some of these problems are and how, <laughs> how complex, yeah. uh, you know, sort of you know, the large businesses are. Uh, but I think, you know, you've seen a lot of large organizations pivot recently that you've seen, you know, leadership changes at Microsoft sort of wholesale shift that organization. You've seen, you know, places like IBM, um, you know, make dramatic changes to how they operate their environment. And I think it's an example of, if some of these these largest organizations in the world can make that change, uh, then you know your organization can make that change too. It just has to be a high priority for that organization. Sort of on that note, a little bit, right, and talking a little bit about pace, right. So I would say that the the premise of uh, like you know the motivation, you know, the reason that you would want to uh, uh, shift your organization as a whole or your uh, security organization seems to fundamentally come down to pace. Right, the, the the internet is moving at an ex- increasingly fast pace, uh, and uh, and a business needs to catch up. Right, you need to iterate, you need to ship stuff quickly, you need to um, uh, try out ideas and fail in the in quickly, so you can kind of switch on and find the one that wins. Uh, so you know everything needs to be fast, 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 um, and fast is is a scary a scary thing sometimes for security so i guess on, on that note let me let me dig a little bit into into indeed that sort of speed element right that's one of my kind of curiosity points indeed how do you like how do you see that right for at least from the outside it seems like slack is is shipping stuff very quickly what's your kind of philosophy or and kind of how does it come into practice around uh, kind of balancing this speed of delivery, the faster you deliver something, the better you better be at understanding the risk and and controlling it. And if and you know if not just controlling it, 
being able to visualize it, understand it, and impact it, right? Be able to have some levers or some controls to adjust it. I think in Slack's case, just like everybody else is is trying to be, you know, they're either trying to play agile or actually be agile. I don't know if that's probably uh, a terrible cliche, uh, you know, mm-hmm. way to describe it, but like, you know, the reality is people want to move fast and people want to change fast and develop things fast. You know, Slack pushes, you know, hundreds of, you know, we could push, you know, hundreds of changes a day. Uh, that are constantly improving the product and the platform. And that's just completely counter to how enterprise software was delivered, uh, you know, five, even five, maybe 10 years ago. And, and certainly that's something we talk with our auditors and our customers about. But, you know, you can move at that speed and you can do that even if it confounds the auditors and, and uh, scares people that were more traditional risk managers. Because the reality is, you know, your customers want that. They want you to go fast. They want it to be improved fast. They you know, the reason people are signing up for things that are, you know, SaaS products and subscription-based services is because their expectation is that the product is going to constantly improve. And and certainly mm-hmm. I think everyone, just like Slack, is it wants to meet that. Well, that makes my job both very exciting and very, uh, and very stressful in that I have to constantly be building a program and controls and, and visibility, you know, if I just think about the tools that can, vis- that can tell us what's happening and, you know, alert us to if something's going wrong. It means we have to respond faster when we do find something that's gone wrong or if we think something's sort of veering off in a direction that's less than safe. But it also means we have to have culturally the ability to flag problems inside the organization, to escalate those, to have uh, discussions with, you know, comms or general counsel or with your CEO or your CTO about what are these problems and, you know, how do we want to, how do they impact the business and what should we do? Should we do we change a high-level, top-level strategy? Is this a simple logistical change? But if you don't have the ability to uh, both quickly surface, uh, discuss, and make decisions, and then disseminate, you know, an action plan inside your organization, I mean, all those things contribute deeply to whether you are secure or not, and whether your business is going to survive. So how uh, how does that play out in in reality? So you know, I, I share the uh, share the concepts, right? You know, you want to be able to to communicate, and you want to talk about risk, you know, without uh, you know, without sort of some zero tolerance uh, mindset. Like sometimes you you need to move it. Uh, how does that manifest? Like, can you share share some like some best practices, some tools, or maybe it's principles that you apply that you know that we can adopt uh, elsewhere as well in in kind of the daily day daily life. I think a great example here uh, of, of how this manifests and how to measure whether this is working well in your organization is if you're at a maturity phase where you can have a bug bounty. Um, this this is a great sort of test for A, is your organization mature in terms of how it handles risk and how it responds to things? Uh, and B, are you mature enough that you can accept you know random people on the internet telling you how bad your product is other, you know, other than your customers? I think um, it's it's really a big step. So for us, we, we have a bug bounty. I was very lucky in that uh, I walked in, uh, and when I walked to the door, Slack had already established this. But you know, a bug bounty is really something that you know from the outside, you know, seems like an interesting idea and is is valuable. But it really to do it well becomes part of the the fabric of your sort of your technical and your business culture. You're you're putting something out there where you tell people, please find flaws in my product. Tell me about mm-hmm. them, and we'll we will fix and compensate you for that trouble. And that seems really straightforward. But what that means is we get submissions all day long from the bug bounty program, and we scrutinize each of those, and we look at them, you know, all through a very serious eye, and we triage those, and then we 
have an internal discussion with the team that that looks at that and they make a decision about is this really a problem or not uh, mm-hmm. do we need more information and then you know the 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 stuff nobody ever sees you know kicks into work and there's a whole bunch of stuff where you know we file a ticket we might go over to that product team or the product management team and under and try to understand cool. you know this is a problem we've or that we've confirmed this is a problem you know what what priority is this how fast do we think this needs to be fixed you know is this something that we think customer data is at risk immediately do we need to do all hands on deck and fix this is this something that can just go into the next you know release cycle and that's a hard discussion to have if you don't have uh, a strong engineering a strong security culture because people generally don't like to fix bugs uh, <laughs> people don't like to fix bugs i'm sure nobody listening to this podcast uh, hates to fix bugs but everybody else would rather sort of includes the listeners yeah yeah i think everybody else would sort of uh, like to wait till next quarter or maybe the next release or something else that's going to make money so it's very it's very easy to see the friction between you know the the need to address risk uh, and the need to sort of drive the business forward and you know your security program has to act in a credible way to represent that risk to the business and and sort of get that get priority on that so now we've established that you know there's priority there and you know, now we get down to fixing it, confirming it, and then you have to go out and tell that researcher, like, you know what, you were right, that's a bug, we fixed it. Can you please confirm whether it's fixed? And then you're giving that researcher permission, like, if you want to go tell people about this bug, if you're going to write a blog post or post it on Twitter, whatever it is, you have our permission. Uh, and you, you know, there are some reasonable constraints on that, but at the end of the day, you you know, you're agreeing as part of this sort of social contract that they can tell people about this flaw that they found, you know, and you have to take a moment and sort of let that settle in that you're agreeing to let someone tell other people (laughs) about something you fucked up. Like, I don't know any other industry. uh, Well, I I think there are very few industries where they're willing to sort of let people tell them what they're doing wrong, take that feedback very seriously, fix it, and then let people tell other people about that, right? Could you imagine being in a relationship where somebody like posts all your flaws online. Well, maybe uh, maybe there are relationships like that. And I'm just <laughs> they do exist. Yeah, I think uh, I think the bug bounties are an amazing thing. You know, we have one at Sneak. You know, at, from a, an early age, I see them as a, as such a, a massive boon uh, and advantage. It's you basically get a bunch of of auditors of varying skills uh, going off and testing and finding, finding issues and, you know, whatever it is that you pay them, it's probably nowhere near as much as you would have paid, uh, hiring those, uh, those auditors in. And, uh, we, you know, we love, we love those, uh, audits. And even if people sort of submit the wrong thing, we send them swag, you know, we send them some, uh, some, uh, some stickers some magic ones that, that we have and definitely, uh, definitely successful. Uh, I, I like the idea. I'd never really considered it that way. I like the idea of maybe thinking about bug bounties as a, the transparency vehicle. Uh, I think when DevOps happened, a lot of the uh, advantage, right, a lot of the the you know, the revolution maybe came from people acknowledging failure, right, embracing fl- failure, internally talking about the blameless postmortems and things like that, but even externally, right, somebody getting up on stage and talking about this massive outage they have and how they you know screwed up kind of throughout multiple times, you know, and and how they handled it and how they learned from it, right, and how they're doing it better today. Um, didn't really think security. It's risky. It's scary to do this. You know, it's really scary to like stand up on stage and describe your existing security uh, process because you feel like everybody's going to find the gaps. Uh, and it definitely is uh, scary to come up and talk about security mistakes uh, that you've done. But bug, bug bounties are kind of the safe way to do it because, you know, y- it was a mistake. Somebody found it, but it wasn't a breach. 
Yeah, I think I think it's a safe way to you know for organizations to dip their toes in the waters of transparency. And I think the reality is we're not headed towards a future where there's less transparency, right? So uh, I'm looking at a future where you know people need to have more information and consumers need more information about uh, you know what the the privacy impacts of your products are what you know security features you have i you know i'd love to see uh an environment we were operating in where there was like an energy star logo or just like you have nutrition facts on the side of uh of the cereal box so people can sort of evaluate you know one uh one SaaS provider versus another and go oh well this one's got you know worse ssl or tls certificates <laughs> than this one or this one you know handles my data in a different way we really like we were going to move towards a time like that and where you know maybe 5 years ago you could try to sue somebody into not presenting about your product at black hat or defcon or or writing a blog post the reality is like you you can't and uh, going that way and trying to keep a lid on you know how you're approaching these things and and you know how slow or fast you're fixing them is the wrong way to go the right way to go is you know, treat these things, um, give them the right priority, do a consistent job of addressing them, even if you're not fixing it as fast as someone else might like you to. Um, as long as you're fixing it and you're doing it in a transparent way, I, I think, you know, what companies, especially startups, are starting to figure out is having a track record of transparently and consistently addressing these kind of security problems in general lends you towards uh, a place where you're improving the the brand, you're improving the trust you have with your customers, your prospective customers. And I think there's certainly, um, without without getting too far into the weeds of the news, you're looking at, uh, you know, breaches and other things happen in a way that if you're dealing with the companies that historically have not been transparent and have not been consistent in how they handle these things, the you know the fallout from those things is going to be much more dramatic than if people know that you know you've been doing the right thing or you know uh, making an honest attempt at taking this secu- uh, taking security seriously all along. Uh, it makes it much less like a, a a TV trope to just say you're taking security seriously when you're in front of Congress. No, but once again, it's sort of the high uh, the high table stakes there. The um so so let's sort of maybe continue down this line of uh, of uh, of kind of laying blame. Um, so I remember. Not sure if I'm remembering my facts correctly, but I think maybe it was when Cloudbleed happened, or when one of the uh, the Slack team security team sent flowers uh, or some box of chocolates, or was it the other way around. You know, there was some. Uh, <laughs> I seem to recall some uh, some uh, showing some love from the sort of Slack security team to another breach, or uh, uh, or vice versa. Um, you know, I think these. Uh, you know, while I don't remember the details, these types of uh, of occasions stick to mind because they're oh so unusual uh, in uh, in the security chatter. Typically, I mean, we just had you know a massive breach at Equifax. We've had massive ones before, uh, maybe not quite that size, uh, but definitely each time one of those happens, when there's some big breach, some big data leak, the finger pointing begins. Right? It's all about uh, laying blame, and you know, a part of it is washing your hands. So it's not my fault. Uh, a part of it is uh, is glee, you know, maybe just sort of, uh, you know, being, uh, uh, uh gloating, sorry, um, for, uh, for somebody else's failure. And, and I find, you know, we, from kind of a perspective of maybe somebody providing security tools and talking about reducing risk, and I suspect you share this as well, uh, that it's really hard to, to talk about security in a positive tone, right? To educate for security, to educate about reducing risk without having the narrative be about, hyping up the risk, right, around having this fear 
induced blame induced environments if you don't do this you're going to lose your job if you don't do this, do this you're going to be breached um you know the 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 world will come to an end how do we wh what are your thoughts on this you know how do we <laughs> kind of uh, uh advance on that path i think the answer is definitely more cake um so we sent <laughs> that was good <laughs> uh i think i think what you're thinking of is you know we sent atlassian some cake or some cookies recently uh at the launch of their product i think in the past we've also uh you know sent cake or pizza when you know when friends are having uh, a bad day uh because the reality is even though we're all in this market and we're competing against each other uh whether it be you know microsoft or atlassian or uh, or anyone else we all rise and fall together, right? So the the tide comes in and out. And we all we all go up and down together. A breach at one cloud provider uh, is not a cause for joyous celebration. You know, it's it's a time for us to all reflect on that could have been us and what are we doing to make sure that doesn't happen. And quite frankly, you know, for people in my position and a lot of people on my team, it's a do those guys need any any help? Right? Is there anything? that we can do to help them out? Do they, you know, if there's any information that we have, either whether it be threat intelligence or smart people that are working on a problem, you know, quite frankly, we're off, we're often very ready to help. And, and uh, I, I've seen that go both ways. Um, you know, people have reached out and, and offered assistance across the community. And that's something, that's one of the parts about the community I really like. The alternative to that is we also live in an environment where people are very ready to uh, pitch their product on top of whatever this latest breach is. I think because security is very hard to, to sort of understand and grasp the, the ROI mm -hmm. of and understand when you should be buying versus building and what you should be buying, you know, there it and there are a ton of things to buy. There's something like 1,700 different startups being covered <laughs> by, you know, by different analysts right now. All of them are in this market trying to sell a security relevant product and you know, they all, you know, there's a ton of money floating around. They all need an opportunity to market. So anytime there seems to be some sort of news about security, I get a flood of emails, as it is everybody else in the, in the industry, about how yeah. vendor X's product would have stopped this. And it's, it's both infuriating and it's unhelpful to the industry as a whole because, you know, that's, that's not what we're here to do. Quite frankly, I don't, I don't think I've ever received an email where that was true, that vendor X's product would have prevented whatever I just read about in the news. But it sort of it, it sort of makes it harder for the for our industry and our our discipline and our engineering practice to uh, to be better recognized because there's sort of this ambulance chasing. You know, I think eventually, between M and A and you know just sort of the natural momentum of, uh, of the market, that will settle down and this will make sense. I think it's just it's going to take longer, and people will realize that you know security, cybersecurity, risk management, information security, whatever you want to call it, has to become uh, a, you know, a core part of how you operate a business. And, you know, the thing you should be spending most of your time on when you're deciding what to buy or what to build is, you know, what are the most high priority things for your business? What's strategic? What's important? What are you spending the most amount of time on in, in terms of problems to solve? Uh, and then maybe those are the things to spend your money on. But otherwise, you should be, like we talked about before, you really should be building things that are directly going to enable your business to achieve its strategic outcomes. And if you're not focused on those things because you're distracted by something else that's taking all your time, that's a great thing to spend money on to make go away, either with people or, or technology. But everything else you should be focused on uh, giving you the best visibility, giving you the best you know, ability to control or influence you know, those outcomes. 
So I, th- I definitely kind of relate to the vision, right? Or sort of this, uh, the goal, shall we say, you know, maybe like I'm a tiny bit more pessimistic around, you know, whether consolidation of the uh, security market would, uh, would lead us there. You know, I feel like there's a, there's more, um, you know, salesmanship or, uh, or sort of uh, fear mongering has kind of not really gone away from our culture uh, at any point in time. But I do, I do think that it's something that if we don't do anything about it, definitely is going to get worse and we need to, uh, work on it right we need to push for it and try to incentivize it i, I guess maybe that's you know we, we kind of have time for sort of one more sort of these topics of conversations how do you how do you see incentives in this world right because you talk about the counter uh, example of chasing an ambulance chasing a hack but how do you how do you celebrate security success how do you um, um reward good behavior, you know, good achievements in security. I think the way I think about incentives is uh, transparency helps a lot here. The The economic incentives have really been misaligned uh, for security in a long time in that if you look at breaches historically, uh, and I think, we, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, the current, the current breach du jour everyone's talking about, it's probably too early to tell for that one. But if you look at the numbers historically, you'll find that the cost of being breached is very short term. So especially if you're a public company, you'll find that the your stock price might take a hit, uh, at least temporarily. But the reality is like that will come back and people will buy their diapers or hammers or whatever it is that you sell uh, and things will stabilize again. And right now the uh, economic incentive is to scare people into buying your thing or spending money in a certain place and it's not in uh, it's not directly aligned with actually making things better because people, by and large, have not spent much time uh, studying and putting information out in a broad way about what is better and what is you know what does it take to make things better. I think there are people, uh, somebody I'm a big fan of, Bob Lord, uh, who talks about this in the sense of so we all know we should eat less and exercise more. Uh, certainly, I'm I'm well aware of that fact personally, but occasionally you have to skip a skip a day. You can't you don't go to the gym or you skip a leg day or whatever it is, and that's fine. But you understand that there are consequences with that, and you understand that making different choices about what you eat or having a cheat day or whatever it is is different than deciding. Well, I know I'm supposed to eat less and exercise more, but I really mm-hmm. like eating a full sheet cake and drinking an entire bottle of whiskey every day. <laughs> and while that sounds wonderful, you can't you can't sustain that on a daily basis. Something bad is going to happen. The chances are probably more bad things than wonderful. So you have to sort of manage risk in a, in a way that you know leads you down a path of like you're constantly improving. And that's not any fun. It is fun to buy the brand new APT dark web threat intelligence machine learned something or other. And the thing that you can you know wrap yourself in this comfortable blanket of like, oh, good. Now all the <laughs> threats will be found by whatever this thing is. But the reality is like the thing that makes you safer every day are the really boring things, right? Managing inventory management, managing your risk, understanding where your risk is, understanding... Security hygiene. Right? Yeah, under- understanding the hygiene. And you know, while it's easy to say, oh, if you just keep up to date on your patches, then you'll be fine. Well, in a complex environment, understanding what is there to be patched, what the current patch state of it is, how many machines do you actually own or VMs are you actually running at any, any given time, that's a really complex problem. And it has a, a straightforward solution. You know, it is easy to, to get distracted by buying that magical silver bullet versus doing that hard hygiene work or that hard sort of take, you know, self-care work. So I think, you know, more transparency lends to, you know, putting the incentives in the right place because if you're being transparent, if you had to disclose 
sort of what your security status was, your hygiene was as part of your quarterly filings, or if there had to be, if the market was incentivized in a way where you had to do, like we talked about these nutrition facts kind of label on the side of your product, you would be incentivized to make sure that you're constantly making improvements in these areas and you'd be less excited about buying silver bullets and more focused on you know, making steady improvements and listening to what your consumers want uh, or giving you know, consumers what you think they need versus just sort of trying to defend yourself against you know, an inevitable lawsuit. Definitely a complicated equation to have and it's indeed fun. It's fun to build these sort of advanced APT machine learning dark web uh, thingy as well. <laughs> yeah, and I think, and, and to be honest, like I think there's certainly, there is a need for some of these and many of them are valuable. There's no silver bullet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Having the best algorithm is not going to solve uh, solve any problems for you if you aren't doing any of these basic hygiene things. Um, yeah. And it's not that the hygiene things are easy. It's just that they, you know, if you look at sort of Maslow's hierarchy of need uh, applied to security, you need to address yeah. some of these things first before you're spending time on self-actualization. Absolutely or making sentient Absolutely. AI. So uh, th this was fascinating. I have all sorts of other questions for you, but I think we're sort of out of time. So before we let go, I'll ask you a question I ask all of my all of my guests here. If there was sort of one tip, one advice, one sort of uh, maybe the other way around, some pet peeve that you have about people not doing uh, that could help you know, a security team, a development team, a company level up uh, their uh, level of security, what's, uh, what's your tip? I think I was just ranting about this on Twitter, which uh, honestly I have to be more specific about. But I think the best tip I have is, you know, if you only have one place to focus, focus on people. Uh, focus on the really hard, uh, non-instantly gratifying uh, thing of like, mm -hmm. invest in your people, uh, invest in hiring great people, invest in giving the people that you have hired the things that they need. You give them, you know, listen to them, give them your time, give them your support, your trust, your respect, and they're gonna do great things for you. And you know, putting great people on your team is gonna be way better than you know, spending double or triple that amount of, uh, of actual hard money into some security product, right? In fact, some of the security products that we have that are the best are the, less, are the least expensive things we would spend uh, money on. And I think you know, spending you know, money, but also just investing time in your people is the best thing you can do. And it's also, quite frankly, the least mm -hmm. expensive, you know, easiest thing you can do. Yeah, excellent tip. Definitely. You know, if you invest in people, I think the uh, the rest will come. You will choose the right tools. You would uh, build the right practices. Fully, fully agreed. Well, this was super great conversation. Thanks a lot for coming. Uh, if people want to kind of keep up with your sort of inputs, want to uh, follow on Twitter or sort of uh, contact you some other way, can you sort of share how, how we can find you? You can follow me on Twitter, which is probably a terrible idea if you want to have a uh, <laughs> irrational conversation, but uh, I'm at Je Jeff Belknap on Twitter. I don't know, come work at Slack. That's the easiest way to uh, spend a bunch of time with me. That works. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks a lot, Jeff, for uh, coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It was super fun. And thanks for everybody that tuned in and join us for the next one. Thanks. That's all we have time for today. If you'd like to come on as a guest on this show or want us to cover a specific topic, find us on Twitter at The Secure Depth. To learn more about Heavybeat, browse to heavybeat.com. You can find this podcast and many other great ones, as well as over 100 videos about building developer tooling companies given by top experts in the field. 